This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. That Naturopathic Podcast, TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Dionisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hello, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. Kara. And I'm Dr. Dave. And I, we're in my house today, Dave. Yeah, I'm yeah. super excited to have Dr. Dave Urez today with us. And um, in women's health, uh, she's she's. A, an awesome player and a, a teacher at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, associate profes- professor in integrative fertility and sexual and reproductive health. And uh, today we're talking to uh, Zainab about uh, PCOS. So welcome, Zainab. Yeah, welcome. Hi. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I have to, I have a confession to make. Oh. Um, this is my first podcast interview. No way. Wow. It is. Yes. Yeah. So, but, so I'm super excited to be here. But you up into in front of classrooms of students, so that would be more nerve wracking to me. Speaking in like a digital space without any audience is a different experience. It's it's a little unsettling and weird. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll 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 easy and gently. We're we're pretty friendly. <laughs> we are. We're fun and smart, so you'll have fun too. <laughs> and Zane cool. is very fun like and fun. smart too. So yeah, we already had a <laughs> Thanks, good laugh, uh, and she's very, very, very smart. And yeah, uh, because now we're having some of the stars in women's health. I mean, quick little brief men's health star. Yeah, yes, but there's but back to women's health. <laughs> Again. And so, yeah, Zayn, I'm not going to complain. No, no, yeah. no one's going to complain about that. Are you kidding? It's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, so uh, pumped to have Zainab because uh, that, that really means we're getting some of the best uh, experts in women's health in the naturopathic uh, sphere in Canada. So, yeah. what, what caught you hooked into women's health? I'm asking more for, for me. I've never <laughs> asked you this. That's a good question. You know, it's so funny because when I was in third year, right before we entered our clinical internship year, I thought to myself, oh my God, I never want to work in women's health. <laughs> I thought the same. Why? I look exactly the same at, at CCNM. <laughs> it seemed so overwhelming and complicated to me, all the hormone yeah. pathways and everything. And I kind of didn't know where to start tackling it to have an understanding of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, slowly but surely I experienced some clinical, I had some patients in clinic in my fourth year, one of them that I can distinctly remember with PCOS. um, And I just really enjoyed it. And my career has kind of evolved um, to an area where I'm seeing an even more sort of 
specific population in women's health um, in the fertility realm um, and, and men's health too, of course, to some degree, but it's just gotten even more and more specific. Um, mm -hmm. And I enjoy that so much because it allows me to really dive in deep and sink mm -hmm. my teeth into something. Mm -hmm. What drew you in? Was it like the kind of patient that comes in with PCOS or was it the gap in uh, medical sort of conventional medical approach or what was it that really drew you into the PCOS sphere? Well, this patient I had in my fourth year, and I, I don't know if you guys will agree, but um, we knew so little about PCOS when we were students. I think mm. the, the medical community knew so little, like even 15 years ago, uh, about PCOS. So I don't think we had a, even a lecture or a, uh, we covered PCOS um, in our curriculum. And so I had no idea what was going on with this patient at all. Um, it was so bizarre. Her symptoms seemed so unusual. And so I went into like, the textbooks and look to see why she was having trouble ovulating and all of those things, the typical kind of presentation we see with PCOS. She had hair, coarse hair on her chin and all of these like tech, lucky for me, it was a textbook case. And I learned about this new condition and I found it so complex and mm -hmm. fascinating. What brought her in? Like what she probably didn't, maybe I'm wrong, but she probably didn't come in saying I have PCOS, fix it. What did she come in sort of in her mind? What was the, the main sort of issue? Well, I mean, that was a really long time ago, but she, I remember she did have, it was more, we weren't even really addressing the, as you, you know, said, the PCOS piece so much as she had some mental health concerns, some anxiety, uh, social anxiety, and those are more some of the things we were going through, some digestive issues too. We, I remember doing some dietary interventions with that as well. Mm -hmm. And so more broad, but um, I, I mean, I can be a little bit specific because you work in a fertility, a great fertility center. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming are the patients who are coming into you, do they already have a, we're going to specifically talk about the, the patients today who do have PCOS. Um, mm -hmm. Are they, are they coming in with that diagnosis already to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky to be working in a center with doctors and nurses who obviously are very knowledgeable and informed in PCOS, and they, they've already been diagnosed. They've had a really thorough workup often, which can sometimes, you know, not be the case for some of our colleagues in a com more community setting. Um, but yeah, my, the patients I see with PCOS have a clear diagnosis and they uh, have specific goals around fertility and ovulation. Awesome. Um, what does that person look like? So what has their journey been like? Maybe even it might be helpful for our listeners to hear what their journey looked like, you know, leading up to finding you. Um, right. With our struggles with first fertility and what does that look like for them? Because PCOS, as you said, very complex and it doesn't always look the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it doesn't always look the same. So sometimes presentations can be a little bit different. Um, I mean, often in a fertility context, there are concerns with ovulation or lack of regular ovulation. So a lot of, you know, a common presentation I see is someone coming to see me um, and they went off the pill or a contraceptive waiting to sort of start trying to get pregnant and they don't get their period uh, mm -hmm. for six months or a year. So I see that sort of presentation very often. Um, other times I see people who are ovulating every few months, but not regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and then I see a huge diversity in 
um, what we would call like a PCOS phenotype, you know, different people with uh, the typical patterns of hair growth or acne, um, hair growth where we don't want it and hair loss where we don't want it. Yes. And then ac the acne presentation. Um, and sometimes none of that. And we know that with PCOS, there could be a lot of, there can be a lot of um, ethnic variability in the presentation of PCOS. And then some of the patients I see are overweight um, and some of them aren't. Some of them are even mm. bordering on underweight. So it's a huge variety of patients that I see. And um, I'll, I'll have patients say, oh, but my doctor did an ultrasound and I don't have any cysts on my ovaries. <laughs> By the name polycystic ovarian syndrome, you would, you know, we used to think that that was a criteria, but um, I just wanted to explain for our listeners that um, totally very different and with all of the symptoms that you have mentioned. Can we just mm -hmm. walk our listeners through um, how you, how, how someone would get to that diagnosis, like what's yeah. um, further defined of those criteria? Yeah. Um, so PCOS is based on, it's a syndrome, right? So it's not, so it's a, it's a constellation of signs and symptoms. And to be diagnosed as having PCOS, you need to have two out of three criteria. Uh, the first one is issues with ovulating regularly. So that might mean, you know, your cycles are 36 or 37 or more days long, or maybe you're having nine or fewer cycles in a year. Mm -hmm. um, another criteria is either clinical signs, so the, the outwardly visible signs of high male sex hormones like testosterone, so that could look like the jawline acne or coarse hair on the chin or coarse hair on other parts of the body or even hair loss um, in like the typical sort of male pattern uh, hair loss picture that we, as we would call it. And then the third uh, criteria being the cysts on the ovaries. But as you mentioned, Kara, you know, there, it's two out of three. So one of those symptoms can be absent and a person could still have PCOS. And then there's a big but, right? There's the uh, also the exclusion of other things that can look like PCOS. So people need to have been assessed for prolactin levels and thyroid levels um, and another complex hormonal condition that can look like PCOS um, called non-classical congenital adrenal hyperplasia. So um, mouthful. it's a mouthful. <laughs> Um, and that requires a specific hormone test um, in the morning, and um, yeah, that can rule out uh, that can rule in PCOS by ruling out this condition. Okay, I, wanna, I just want to go back a little and, and talk about a couple definitions. I, I sometimes do this. Sorry, um, ovulation. I should make sure that everyone sort of like, like you could tell me. Do do most of your uh, patients know what ovulation is? Do they know that they're ovulating or they're not? Or are they just like, hey, doc? Um, I haven't had a period in six months. What's their sort of level yeah. of knowledge of ovulation, just in case our listeners don't know exactly what that is? Totally. Well, I, I'm really lucky to be working with a really informed group of patients. Right. And so they're really usually knowledgeable about what ovulation looks like. Uh, but, you know, for some of your listeners out there, usually when you have a regular site, a regular bleed, so that like something that's with under, let's call it 35 days, um, more than not, more than likely, you're you're ovulating, um, but that can be confirmed at home with urine LH strips. Those are not perfect, but um, that's something a, a person can do. 
by those fairly easily um, and can try to confirm ovulation. Um, but most, more than likely people are ovulating if they're uh, bleeding pretty regularly. And then another word uh, you, you brought up was um, phenotype. And I just, it's, you know, it's, I know what you mean, but can you mean a little bit more like what phenotype means and in, in context of how you're bringing it in here? Yeah, so a phenotype is defined as like a physical presentation of a of a disease, I guess. And so um, in PCOS, there's four phenotypes. And it's basically a variation of those three signs. Um, so some people will have the signs of testosterone, um, some won't. Some will have ovulatory issues, some won't. And some will have polycystic ovaries, some won't. And I just want to say one more important thing about the polycystic ovary thing. Um, the original diagnostic criteria were developed in 2003. And so the original definition was to have 12 or more of these like cysts on the ovaries on ultrasound. But now, you know, think about how much technology has evolved. Think about what your cell phone, as one of the physicians at the clinic likes to say, think about what your cell phone looked like in, 2000, looked like mm -hmm. in 2003 and yeah. look what it looks like now. That's, think about ultrasound technology. You know, there's, it's way easier to detect 12 follicles on an ovary now than it was right. in 2003. So you, maybe you guys are seeing this too, like a lot of ultrasounds say now PCO appearance on the ovaries. So I think that needs to be taken in a clinical context, kind of like Definitely. take it with a grain of salt. I actually more often than not don't see ultrasound confirmed cysts, but see like skyrocketed insulin levels or home right. IR scores or really high testosterone levels. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it, it's, and it's clin clinically for us very, um, I mean, we're now get used to seeing different patterns um, and all of these different presentations, but it's not like a neat little box, like iron deficiency. Yeah. Like, here's your hemoglobin. <laughs> uh, what's your gut doing? What your peer doing? Like closed, right? Um, it just doesn't always look the same. And so that mm -hmm. poses clinical challenges and then makes it confusing for patients too. Totally. Um, yeah. So your, your population you're working on are women who do have PCOS and are trying to get pregnant. So what are the issues there of, of a woman um, surrounding fertility and pregnancy? Yeah. So usually the biggest issue is usually ovulation. Um, but beyond, you know, ovulating regularly. And of course, you know, the fertility clinic um, can work with these individuals with oral medications often, which are quite effective at helping ovulation. Um, but the reason for usually ovulatory issues, and one of the things you kind of brought up was the, uh, the metabolic issues that underlie PCOS. So the high insulin levels often and the glucose, blood glucose dysregulation. Um, so what could be going on sort of under the surface can sh show up as ovulatory issues. Um, but those issues under the surface, those hormonal imbalances and metabolic imbalances also lead to other concerns, right? Like um, higher risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and other things. And those are some of the, also the things that can lead to pregnancy and fertility complications beyond just ovulation issues. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Carrie, you brought up uh, HOMA IR, and then uh, Zainab, you just talked about insulin resistance. Can maybe can you guys maybe tie those tie those two things together? Like, what is insulin resistance? Right. So, um, insulin is a hormone that you you know you need uh, every cell uses to bring glucose into the cell, and um, and in environments where let's say there's been a lot of uh, blood sugar issues or uh, dietary patterns that are less than ideal. Sometimes insulin is working over time. And sometimes in PCOS, we just see that women have a heightened insulin response. And eventually, um, this these high levels of insulin cause the cells to sort of block insulin, causing blood sugar levels to go up higher, causing the body to produce more insulin, causing the cells to, you know, become even more resistant to insulin and it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle and home IR Kara, do you want to talk about that? You're doing awesome. Yeah, okay. don't stop. <laughs> yeah you're like, you're very clearly doing so you keep going. Uh, so it's a, it's a calculation basically that uh, takes into account fasting insulin and fasting glucose levels um, and tells us if a patient is, has, a, a level of uh, insulin resistance, basically. Yeah, and I think maybe just to in a way that a patient can understand like what that them is a lot, lot, you know, this is a significant problem when it comes to, well, hormones and menstrual cycles and fertility. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the therapies um, that are studied for, for PCOS and fertility, like in respect to fertility are ones that are addressing that blood sugar and insulin resistance piece. So things like metformin mm-hmm. or berberine um, are working on the blood sugar part of it, but are really actually, they increase live birth rate. So that's how important this piece, piece is. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to hear your, um, cause you're right in the, which is actually really a terrible, <laughs> that's a day allergy. <laughs> you're right in a fertility, right? So this is like where, where you guys can get really specific and in, in helping here. Um, do we want to go into to kind of your approaches, um, working with an integrated fertility clinic, um, with PCOS and fertility? Yeah, sure. I mean, I have to say that the experience of working in a fertility center, like I'm really lucky because patients are already getting such excellent care. Um, And so, and excellent assessments. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the role I have, so I don't have to think about a lot of the things uh, maybe, you know, the average ND might be considering when it comes to like, how were you worked up? What kind of assessments were right. done? Do I need to rule out all these other things first? I really don't have to do any of that stuff. So it makes my job a lot can easier. I just, can I just give a shout out to fertility clinics? Because I can't think of another example in conventional, like in conventional clinic settings where the thoroughness of assessment is so amazing. Like I know if a, a patient's gone to a, a good fertility clinic, that really mm-hmm. have looked look at uh, from different angles, different um, with testing, and and um, you know they even bring in like mental health and and different things totally. or, or a naturopathic doctor. So I think yeah. for clinics in Ontario, when we're used to a OHIP, you know, a publicly funded system, are really cool. Um, just 
case study of how we can do things. Well, you got mo- mo- totally. motivated patients with an end goal that's very clear. Yeah. And there's big that's money. A good point. You know, like there's, so there's a lot of motivation and, and money yeah. involved. So I think that's going to influence. And for, I mean, fertility, when you look at fertility, like what is a better representation of, uh, you know, optimal health? Like if, if, if everybody is, everybody, any individual's fertility is going to be optimized in the context of their optimal health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're lucky that so many physicians recognize that and are open to working um, integratively with, with us. Um, and, and I think it's, it's great for patients too. They, they love the idea that everybody on their team is in communication and I can have access to their records um, with their consent. And it's just such a better experience for the patient. Um, one less thing for them to be doing, faxing 45 pages of blood work to yeah. my office, you know? Yeah. So that's a huge, huge advantage for patients. That's awesome. Um, I forget what your question was. Though. I do too. I just wanted to give a shout out to that because I think it's so cool. Like I, I would love the experience of working. Like it's just a great um, collaborative model, um, which is mm-hmm. must be really cool to work within. So I think my question though was, um, we've talked a little bit about what PCOS looks like. So what does it look like from your perspective and your role as an apathic doctor um, in just within that clinic? Right. And so, uh, I kind of take sort of three steps. The first step is the assessment. And as I said, most of that's been done for me, but there might be additional things I'm going to look at. Um, And, you know, an assessment can also mean a history that the fertility doctor may not have had time to look at. You know, we know that in individuals with uh, PCOS, we see higher rates of anxiety and higher rates of depression and issues with body image and things like that. So I can spend some time learning about those things for my patients, um, about my patients, um, you know, looking at their overall quality of life, uh, its impact on their sex life, all of those things, um, looking at their risk factors for future disease because we want to make sure that you know uh, are you at risk for gestational diabetes or type 2 diabetes some of the things that can impact your pregnancy health Um, cardiovascular disease of course uh, all of those things can have an impact on pregnancy health so we want to also optimize their health for a future pregnancy. Um, And then beyond assessment is assessing their goals. So figuring out what their specific goals are, because, you know, 10 patients come to you with PCOS and they have 10 different goals. And so I try not to assume that even though they're in a fertility clinic, that all of their goals are the same. Um, And so figuring out what their goals are, it might be weight loss, it might be supporting ovulation, um, some of my goals are often, you know, improving pregnancy health outcomes. And we talk about that. And then the prevention of long-term health outcomes. um, I like to talk about with my patients as well. Um, But luckily, you know, usually all of the goals, whatever they may be, have the same sort of path (laughs) to um, being addressed. And so, um, you know, addressing their goals with some of the evidence-based therapies that we have. 
And how do, how sure. do you wind that through? So if, if you have a team of people, how, how do you, um, yeah, how, wh- where are the decisions made um, in the, to say a certain amount of, of help needs to be addressed? Sorry, I, you cut out a smidgen. Can you repeat Oh, no, did I? Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering how, how you work, like how do you decide, you know, um, okay, we need to address, you know, we're, this patient's not ovulating. Um, right. How do you address that within a fertility clinic where, you know, you might have some things that would be helpful um, and there, uh, you've mentioned some medication. So, yeah, what does that yeah. look like of, of deciding that care? Yeah, of course, like working in a team, you don't have the same autonomy you would have not working in a team. So it's always about, you know, what is the plan from your physician? um, And how can we support you through this plan? So, you know, a lot of our, by the time I see a lot of patients with PCOS, they're already moving on to a plan that involves oral medications. But we know there are some therapies that can help and oral medications are great and helpful at inducing ovulation, but it doesn't always work for everybody. And so we know there are some medications that can help support ovulation induction um, alongside the medications and that are safe to use with the medications. Um, And so that's one way. But of course, all the like foundational things that we do as NDs are the things that are going to help ovulation and help address all the goals that we've talked about. Is there an order, Zainab, that you usually follow at the clinic? Like, do you have to do some of the basic foundational things first? Or is it sort of like depending on what the patient wants? Like if they just want to go, you know, if they don't, they don't want to do much in the way of foundational uh, uh, sort of lifestyle medicine, do they, can they then go straight to medication or what do most people do? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, with, with fertility, time is always of the essence, right? And so, and by the time they've come to a fertility clinic, they've already been through so much. They've been trying right. for over, a, usually over a year. Um, and so usually there's a sense of urgency um, and we never want to, and time can be a hindrance to success. I, ironically though, I mean, PCOS and when you look at the research, PCOS is really the only condition where delaying fertility treatments can have a positive outcome um, when you implement diet and lifestyle uh, interventions. Um, of course, having said that, that's an individualized decision based on like the person's age and other um, factors that might be at play as well. I have a, a couple for uh, actually I have a couple of patients with PCOS and, and fertility that were heading into fertility treatments, but it's being delayed because of the pandemic. Right. And I'm yes. trying to say this is a good thing. We have some time, right. <laughs> and I, and it also at the time I was like I I can't send you to the lab right now. Like this was in the height of, of everything, and I'm like. But I'm going to guess your fasting insulin is over 150, and I'm going to guess <laughs> your free testosterone is over 25. And then we finally just got them a, a couple of battles. Like, yes, <laughs> perfect <laughs> clinical uh, skills when, when you don't have those available. But um, it is good at the balance, right, of finding, uh, of saying this time is important. Um, mm-hmm. And yet I know those women are really, you know, they've been through a long journey and want to just get on with it. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, my colleagues who are in the community and practicing with women who, who have PCS before they come to the fertility clinic have a huge advantage um, right. in terms of implementing those things more 
er earlier, more preventively. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, a, like an example of where education would be key, right? Because like that old thing, like the best time to tree is 25 years ago or whatever it is. Like <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. You know, so it's like the earlier you're sort of planning to get the garden in good shape, like even if you use drugs, they're going to work better on a healthy in a mm -hmm. healthy milieu, right? So absolutely, it seems like there's like an opportunity maybe for uh, better education because I think people to only start thinking about it. I mean, I mean, I, this is your jam. I don't know. I assume people usually only start thinking about it when it's like pretty much time. You know, it's changed. I don't know if if you're hearing that, uh, but uh, it's it's changing. I spoke to someone this week mm -hmm. who um, who already herself had thought. Oh, I'm wondering if I have PCOS and she's wanting to come to me and see. And she's like, I'm not interested in fertility yet, but it's, you know, if, if this is what we're dealing with, like, you know, um, then I want to start working on it. So it's, it's interesting that how much the, I think there's been a lot of education and a lot of awareness that has come mm -hmm. to this, which is really nice to see. And people need to see us rogue naturopaths out in the in the free world <laughs> to do lots of work before they get to you for the real key special stuff. Absolutely. And that would be yeah. great. Um, and, you know, when you look at, and your point is really a great one, Dave, like the best time to be diagnosed with PCOS and to start working on it is in adolescence. Yes. And so what we see is so often people kind of have wonky periods in adolescence and rightly or wrongly, you know, are put on an oral contraceptive right away. Um, and then 10 or 15 or 20 years later, they come off of it to realize that their hormones are sort of imbalanced and they may have PCOS, but, um, and not to say they wouldn't have been on, they shouldn't have been on the oral contraceptive, you know, there's reasons for that as well. But, um, there's an a missed opportunity, right? Because in early in adolescence, you know, if people learn that they have PCOS and learn about the long term health outcomes and learn about some lifestyle and dietary strategies, there's such a they have the potential to have such a positive impact on their life course. Mm -hmm. It gives you some meaning, like if 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 you want to become pregnant in the next whatever five years or something, it gives you some real meaning to get healthy now. You know, like it's. Mm -hmm. sort of, pushes the, the right direction just to, to have a reason right? like that's why that's why i said it's, it's a big thing with i think maybe the success and fun sort of you have in your clinic is because you got really motivated people with a clear sort of like goal we talked about it with uh, cancer patients too a lot of mm -hmm. cancer patients are like they do what you say to do right so it's an interesting um, or it's like an ideal sort of group of people to work with, with a real motivation like that. I think, I guess what I'm saying is one of the first things I want people to do when they come and see a naturopath is make sure they're pretty clear <laughs> on why they're, why they're going. And it's pretty clear with a fertility clinic, why you're going. Yeah. Like you said, there's a really clear outcome <laughs> Yeah, and it's, and in some ways that's, that's a, a blessing and a curse because, you know, you can improve a lot of things, but if that it's a binary outcome and if you don't get the one outcome you're looking for, it's a failure in the end. Right. Right. What, um, are, do you work with, uh, patients once they're pregnant uh, as well, like th through the pregnancy? Yeah. Uh, often I do. Um, and so, yeah, so of course, in PCOS, we're looking, we want to look at, you know, we can take a early steps to, work on blood sugar balancing and dietary strategies to 
reduce the risk of gestational diabetes, dietary and some supplementary uh, options as well. But uh, we want to look at the risk of gestational diabetes and try to reduce that. And with PCOS, there are some other um, sort of negative pregnancy outcomes that can accompany that. And, you know, I think by improving those things, ideally in preconception, we can reduce the risk of some of those uh, negative pregnancy outcomes. Mm -hmm. What are some of the foundational things that you're doing? I know um, you would have hoped that they would, would for, perhaps before getting to the fertility clinic, but, um, you know, it, maybe you can you work with someone a little bit or, or once they're there, you have a really motivated client who wants to work on those naturopathic or lifestyle foundations. What are some really key ones that you find are important in PCOS? Yeah, so I guess the top three would be uh, lifestyle, like looking at mostly physical activity, but of course, like stress and sleep and all of those basics. Um, diet is really important. And then the third one is weight loss, where it's relevant, not not relevant for everybody, but weight loss, um, a weight loss of five or 10% of body weight can have a huge impact on metabolic health and can help restore ovulation in many patients with PCOS or many individuals with PCOS, I should say. Mm -hmm. And, um, are, and are you adding other specific, um, so what you're doing some dietary counseling in order to yeah. achieve those goals. Yeah. Yeah. And I can talk a little bit more about that because it's, it's kind of, it's quite nuanced, right? Like dietary modifications in PCOS can be really specific. Yeah. Um, of course, like a overall overarching Mediterranean style diet is what most of us are, I assume are recommending. Um, but specifically, you know, there are strategies that we can use to help, um, support, um, you know, try to reduce insulin resistance and, and support uh, healthy blood glucose levels. So um, looking at the macronutrient composition of the diet can be really helpful. And there's no sort of perfect macronutrient composition, but I aim for about, um, you know, 30 to 35% protein and, you know, about all of, all of them about balanced, but that can depend on the individual and their level of physical activity. Um, and then of course, not just the balance of macronutrients, but the quality of the fats and the quality of the carbohydrates is really important. We know in one of the largest studies on diet infertility um, that involved the nurses health study two cohort, they looked at glycemic load um, and ovulatory and risk of ovulatory infertility and found that those who had the lowest glycemic load um, in their dietary patterns had uh, the lowest risk of ovulatory infertility. Mm. Um, and so looking at glycemic load can be important. And then for some people, intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding can be use really useful because we're reducing the period of time in which insulin levels are active in the body. And also, you know, it just, you know, you, we see those patients that um, are eating maybe like from 8am um, all the way through dinner and then like snacking at night. I mean, we've all done it, of course. Especially in a perfect. pandemic, the kitchen is right there. <laughs> it's, all, it's always right all there. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, kind of reducing that window can help with some of the dietary patterns too that are not always optimal for our health. Um, 
So those are some of the strategies I use for PCOS. But I have to say that it's always, it can be different from person to person. Like I really try to individualize my my dietary strategies and work with motivational interviewing and see where patients are at and kind of Mm -hmm. follow that. I think I've evolved in that area of my practice quite a lot. I think when I first came out of school, I was way more (laughs) rigid and prescriptive and I've changed in that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Zaina, beyond beyond the the all and foundational stuff, which you know, we talk about it and not enough love and people not very sexy, but it's, it's important. Uh, beyond that, if we were to look at maybe some of the top hits that you give people for supplementation, of course, the, you know, the, the preface to this is that, of course, you'd, you know, make it individualized. And if the person's got certain things going on with them, then you would address those first. But if we were just to go by like sheer numbers, we just looked at all your charts, what would be like <laughs> some of the top three prescriptions in terms of like supplements that you give? Yeah, of course. Um, well, if we can leave the prenatal out of that, because that's just a given. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just don't want to not mention a prenatal vitamin. Uh, so, in the context of vitamin D deficiency, vitamin D is really important in PCOS. Um, women or individuals with PCOS are more likely to be vitamin D deficient. Um, lower vitamin D levels are associated with uh, higher body weight. So we see in the women who are overweight or obese who have PCOS, they tend to have even lower vitamin D concentrations. And that can be, you know, cause and effect. We don't, you know, there's potential reasons why obesity can cause lower vitamin D levels and vice versa. Um, And so, and we know even in a general population of reproductive age individuals in Canada, uh, about 40% of those people are vitamin D deficient. So, um, vitamin D supplementation for the most part is safe. We know that. And, um, but we, I really believe in the context of fertility care that should be specific to the serum levels of vitamin D, because let's say somebody has a very low vitamin D concentration and they're heading towards IVF in like a one or two month window, that supplementation is going to look a lot more intense than the Mm -hmm. supplementation of somebody who's in a totally different set of circumstances. Um, And vitamin D supplementation can help uh, improve insulin sensitivity, and it can help with menstrual regularity in individuals with PCOS. Mm -hmm. Is is D part of a standard fertility workup in like in a fertility clinic? Yeah, I think most, well, most of the physicians at our clinic uh, do an assessment. Unfortunately, it's not covered by OHIP, so it's usually the patient's choice. Um, But I do encourage, if patients haven't had it, I'm lucky because the patients come to me with, and I get to, I already have their vitamin D level before I see them. Awesome. Um, I can in any sillier ways, this is $37. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you got vitamin D in your doctor's kit. Um, what else, what else would be in there? So, um, to, so fish oil, uh, that's, that's a big one. Um, I, I like to look at the diet and see how much fish a person's consuming and, and, and dose fish oil accordingly. But, um, we know that most of the, most of our Western diets, uh, have an imbalance of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids compared to what historically our ancestors would have eaten. Um, And so there actually are some uh, randomized control trials of fish oil in uh, 
population of women with PCOS. And um, they show that fish oil can reduce inflammatory markers and um, can help with those metabolic uh, imbalances, like improving insulin sensitivity um, as well. And so fish oil is something I, I almost always, in fact, I give it to everybody who's trying to get pregnant. So mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of cheating because <laughs> that's an easy one, but there, it is spe- also has specific benefits in PCOS. Give one more. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave, I'm not going to say inositol because that one's Which just like picking your favorite children here, <laughs> picking your favorite patients. <laughs> um, I like N-acetylcysteine to be honest with you. Um, there's some really cool research on N-acetylcysteine yeah. um, in terms of how it can support ovulation in those people who are resistant to Clomid, which is used less now, but N-letrozole, the two oral medications that are used to induce ovulation. Um, it's really, I mean, it was really cool when Clomid was more, um, used more often because Clomid had these really specific side effects, um, like thinning of the cervical mucus and a thinning of the endometrial lining and NEC seemed to address some of those issues, which I thought was so cool. Uh, but now with letrozole, there's less of those side effects, but still it can help support ovulation in people who use letrozole who are potentially resistant to letrozole. Yeah, it's... Is it's it one called, of our favorites? I think it's like, one of my favorite supplements. Or I, I think it's the most under-recognized, yes. overly researched supplement. So don't you guys... I, I, I always think about this. Like when we were students, I don't even know if I had heard of N-acetylcysteine. Like I don't think we ever talked about it in our curriculum. Or maybe it was mentioned once or twice, but it, it's like the most badass supplement like it, <laughs> it does is. so many things it really is it really is it's yeah. up there with berberine i'd say berberine it is. and nac are like yeah they are two of the most yeah. badass supplements yeah so true and so berberine does have clinical uses in pcos obviously uh but i don't use it as much um there are specific situations where it can be helpful um especially like even in ivf there's evidence that looks at pcos but mm-hmm. um it depends. Like I, I'm, he- I'm always more hesitant with berberine because it cannot be continued into pregnancy, um, and mm-hmm. so I, I, st- I don't want to use it for something that I would want to continue using it for during pregnancy. Right. I'd rather well, deal with the insulin issues in other ways if I can. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say, Kara? Um, I was going to say uh, maybe I, I do use it quite often, um, and I. I, I have a population where I'm seeing super high fast, like insulin, like, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and also because I have a uh, that I get <laughs> from, um, and so, um, I use berberine quite often, but the patients I'm working on with PCOS are earlier, right? Mm. Um, I tend to get younger ones, um, who aren't quite at the fertility stage yet. So that's a different, I don't have to worry about that factor as much. I know. Good early. Yeah. They don't ever, (laughs) they won't have to see you. Unfortunately, it's, that's great. I'm bittersweet for them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every person, any person who doesn't have to walk through the walls of a fertility clinic, uh, through the doors of a fertility clinic, like that that's great. That's exactly what we want. Um, it's never, it's never the experience people are hoping for on their journey to having a family. And it's, it's, it can be challenging for sure. 
Well, I love the TCMO look, which is like every, it's overly, you know, be care, you have to be careful oversimplifying, you always leave something out, but it, it can be really helpful. And I love that TCM perspective where it's sort of like um, every woman should ideally be, you know, fertile until menopause. And if you're not, then something's out of balance. And so if you get things back into balance, I mean, I don't want to overly simplify, but I like that idea. You got to get into balance and then hopefully tubes are open and all that, then structural abdomen yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> Talk about Zainab's, uh, cause she taught you, she taught you some things, didn't she? She taught me lots about, <laughs> oh, God. I, yeah, she taught me lots about vaginas, which I share the love on all can over we, the place now. Can we talk now? about that a little bit? Cause that's, that's cool. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think everyone would know what Zainab does yeah. with regards to that type of investigation. Cause I, I reached out, that was about a year ago. I reached out to yes. Zainab and I said, Zainab, I need like, we need to do like some refreshers on, uh, gynecological exams and pap tank because NDs need you're doing this. So get this going mm-hmm. and uh, pulled together an off course and refreshed us. <laughs> you, you refreshed our knowledge on the vagina very quickly. Yeah. It was awesome. Well, I have to say, like, I really appreciated your enthusiasm for that course. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for you, that would have never taken off. And and it was a it was a great we had a great turnout and we did you know, yeah I mean we we were supposed to run it again in two weeks time unfortunately oh, who knows when we'll run it again but I think it might become a yearly thing and I think it's fantastic that more and more NDs are I mean to sound dramatic like reclaiming that part of our scope and yeah. um, using it in clinical practice yes yes we need so to important that. it's it so really is. important the insights i've had like since re and like i mean we train and as a student and i just dropped it right like a lot of naturopaths do and mm-hmm. a refresher course with you and integrating that into my clinic there are things i would not have known about my patients um i mean relative to their hormones or menstrual cycles but um it just you know and dave can concur anytime you can add physical exam you just really up the level of that you're providing and the context mm-hmm. and everything. So it's a whole yeah. new, you have to know the physical pro structures. I think I'm so happy that you're doing it, Zainab, because like I do it with the gut with, with a more osteopathic sort of informed palpation of the structures of the gut. Like yeah. imagine you went to a physio who just looked at you and didn't touch your knee, you know, like mm-hmm. we, if you can touch stuff and look at stuff, do it. Mm-hmm. That's a good doctor of whatever doctor you are. So good for you. For sure. Well, well, thank you, Kara. It's, it's <laughs> great. Um, you know, like uh, vaginal infections are one of the most common reasons people visit their healthcare provider. And, you know, if we're not looking, we're missing a huge part of the picture. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's become a big part of my practice, which is really cool. So uh, that makes you really happy. Yeah. Um, so hopefully this pandemic's over and more NDs can kind of reclaim that enthusiasm. Zainab, yeah. what would you say um, is a one takeaway you would love our listeners, um, especially if there's a listener hearing who might have PCOS or struggling with fertility? What is something you would love her to hear? I would love them to hear, um, be kind to yourself, be compassionate. It's not your fault. Um, I think so many people struggle with weight loss and, you know, they, I have so much empathy and compassion for these people. They do so much and weight loss is so challenging. Um, They've, a lot of them have been through the ringer. Like there's, you know, in terms of 
discrimination um, for their weight and people believing that they, you know, lack willpower or um, have terrible diets. I don't see that. I see people who are trying really hard under really hard circumstances to lose weight. Um, so I guess I would say like, I see the struggle that you're going through and um, have some, you know, don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm glad that they have you there on their journey and uh, we would love to have you back. I know you've got some like other mad skills in women's health. So, uh, <laughs> we, we would ha- love to have you back whenever, whenever you want. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was really fun. Your first podcast. You did My it. first one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's not your last, I promise. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks, guys. Great, doctor. We'll see you and take care. Thank you so much. Okay, you too, guys. Bye. Okay, bye.